the best part of the hunting season is finally here. We've waited for this all year long. Now let's make it count with some great gear from our partners. First up, Tacticam is our title sponsor, and their point-of-view cameras are my go-to method for filming my hunts. Their new 6.0 camera has added a 1-inch LCD touchscreen that has totally changed the game for me. Its lightweight design, weatherproof housing, and one-touch operation really simplify the self-filming process and make sure that I have high-quality footage to share with my family and friends. My personal favorite for archery season is two 6.0 cameras, one on a stabilizer mount on my bow and one on a bendy clamp mount for an over-the-shoulder angle. And I pair this with a Tacticam remote so I can turn both cameras on with the push of a single button. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Now as the temps begin to drop, I know I'll be hunting in comfort with my Huntworth camo. Huntworth is making high-quality, technical hunting clothing at a fraction of the price of other brands. This time of year, I'm making sure to layer smart. I start with a set of base layers, either the Casper or the Bangor, which I have found to be very comfortable and moisture-wicking. Next, I'll have on either my Elkins midweight top and bottom or my Saskatoon heavyweight top and bottom. Either way, I'm also going to be bringing my Saskatoon vest. And because the hunting often gets better when the weather turns nasty this time of year, the Winstead rain suit lives in my hickory pack all the time. And I can honestly say that this is the best rain suit that I have ever used. You can learn more or grab your Huntworth gear today at HuntworthGear.com. And finally, the Onyx Hunt app is an absolutely indispensable tool for me this time of year. If I'm not in the action, I'm going to be making a move to go find it. And the Onyx Hunt app helps me identify those terrain features that I want to key in on with their latest aerial imagery additions. The app now has fully functional 3D on both iOS and Android, low-resolution satellite images updated every two weeks with historic lookback, and leaf-off imagery, all in addition to the base maps that you've always had in the app. Get more out of your maps this season and know where you stand with the Onyx Hunt app. Now let's get into this week's show. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, the guy Mr. Ethan Eskew on the line. Ethan, what's up, man? What's up? Just got home from work, ready to talk about some deer. Man, there's there's nothing nothing worse than getting home from work and realizing that you've got a podcast you've got to go to. No, as long as you're talking about deer, it's not bad, you know. Right? Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess there could be a couple worse things, but uh, man, we were just catching up. Like it, it, this is the first time that we've met in person. We've talked a little bit on Instagram, texted back and forth over the last couple of days. But you're a guy that I have watched from afar for this 2023 deer season, and I felt like an Ethan cheerleader. And a lot of that was because of the setup that I'd listened to. Uh, with podcasts that you'd done with Jake Bush on Latitudes in Session podcast, which those episodes were great. Uh, but, like, you had a big life change over this past year. You moved to a new state. You had to figure out new ground. And, dude, the success that you have found was, like, nothing short of inspiring. But, you know, watching the success happen, watching the bucks start to fall – uh, listening to those podcasts with Jake where you're like talking about the work that you're putting in and hearing him be like, man, it's going to happen. Like you're going to get them, you know, all this stuff. And then seeing the pictures start popping up, it was just, it was such a cool thing to watch from a distance. So I knew right away, I was like, number one, I want to talk to Ethan just to like personally just pick his brain. Cause it just seems like such a solid guy willing to put the work in. But number two, I feel like there's a lot that folks can learn from your season. I feel like you took half a lifetime of deer hunting 
and crammed it into your 2023 season. Like you literally just did, you know, 20 years, a decade or more, two decades worth of deer hunting work. And you smashed it into, you know, when did you move? July? Uh, yeah, I got here. I got here in late June. Late um, June. So yeah. you smashed 20 years worth of deer hunting into June through, you know, now we're sitting here in mid-December. So yeah, Five months, basically. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've, you've done a lot, man. So why don't you give us just a, a brief intro of who you are, kind of like your hunting history before this year. And maybe what went into the move? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from West Virginia, uh, which I think plays into a lot of things, honestly, as far as the hunting side of things, because I grew up in a non-big buck state, uh, hunted a non-big buck. And I've traveled to hunt other states, but by far and large, the majority of my hunting was in West Virginia. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth. It's where I learned, you know, not everything I know, but you know, 90% of what I know was learned in West Virginia through trial and error. I didn't really have like a great mentor. Um, like I did, but I didn't, you know, my, my grandfather got me into hunting, um, which I will forever be thankful for. Um, but he was not like deep into the intricacies of deer, right? He was, he, he loved to hunt, go out for a day or two during gun season just sit there and shoot the first thing that came by, you know? So, um, he's who got me into it and, uh, just man, from a young age, it just kind of over, overtook me and, you know, not just deer specifically, but just hunting, hunting in general has just changed my life and really molded me into the person that I feel that I am now. And, um, you know, I've kind of molded my life around hunting in a lot of ways and I'll just, you know, forever be grateful for that. But, um, I'm an engineer now and, uh, like this podcast is kind of, kind of be about, I just moved to Missouri been here for, uh, about six months now, which was a big change. But before that, like I said, hunting in West Virginia, started out killing small bucks and then a little bit bigger, small bucks. And then, you know, just kind of climbed the ladder. And then, um, you know, I think, I think the, the switch for me kind of came, in college, I started, I started really having a desire to kind of chase bigger deer and those college years, it's kind of like college itself, right? Like you're really trying to learn, but you don't know what you're doing. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like, yeah. um, sure. that's how I was in the deer woods, you know, during my college career. And I killed some pretty good deer in college, but it was looking back now, it was like 10% knowing what you're doing. And 90% just being in the right place at the right time. Just, you know, like looking like back then I thought I had it figured out. Right. You know, it's like, but no, you didn't. Um, so I killed some good deer in West Virginia during college, but I just, there was so such a learning curve there. That's when I really dove deep into just the intricacies of deer and like what they do and why, and just started spending way more time in the field and then the other switch for me came after college. That first year out of college, uh, I shot the biggest deer I'd ever shot, which is still one of the biggest deer I've ever shot. Um, I shot him opening day, and that started. That started because uh, I'm I'm 26 now, so I'm so young. Uh, so that was just like five years ago, I think, when I got out of college. So now every year for the last five years, I think I've shot my target buck within the first four days of season. 
um, post-college. So that's why I say there was a really big switch there for me in targeting specific deer, getting on deer early, taking scouting to the next level or whatever level needed. You know, it might be the level past the next level, you know, right. if it's needed to get on the deer you want to get on. Uh, Cause I think opening day is the best time to kill them personally. Um, but yeah, post college until now, it was basically, I uh, shot a lot of really good deer in West Virginia. And I shot, I shot some deer that at least in the area that I'm from were, were truly next level deer. And, um, it just, it was just like re-solidification after re-solidification of the effort and the time and the mindset that has to go into the preparation, you know, and I'm not talking sitting home thinking about what color fletching you're going to use this year. I'm talking about like being in the field, glassing deer, looking at tracks, reading sign, you know, running trail cameras all year, not just in November. It's like just learning as much as you can at all times, just being a student of the game. Basically it's like truly trying to immerse yourself. And it's hard. It's hard because we live in this, civilized society you know what i mean we we think with at least i do i think with this we think with these like technical brains which is just like a lot of times you just have to kind of wipe that away and just remember like they're prey and i'm a predator and like bare bones that's what it is like you're playing predator prey out there with these deer and like a lot of times we forget that very very basic simple fact and i find myself just wiping away a lot of like the mess and just looking at what I'm looking at as simple as that sounds, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like we, we talk about like, Oh, it's like moon phase this and we got a you know, barometric pressure coming in. It's like, I spent, you know, like in college, those were those four years of like learning all the information, right? It's like learning, listening to the podcasts, reading the articles, watching the videos, talking to guys, talking to guys on forums and just, soaking up all that information. And I'd say the last five years post-college have been actually developing a killer instinct. Right. Like your- taking the information, but not relying just on information. Like you have to develop the instinct. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where deer really start getting killed. Um, these are your practicum years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, these, are, yeah. these are your practicum years. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I started applying it and then like observing what, what worked and what didn't. And, and honestly, you know, I'm not one of those guys that's just going to sit down and be like, Oh, if a high pressure day moves in, you're going to kill him. Or if it's this moon phase, you're going to kill him. Or if it's this, whatever it's like, because I, I can't rely on any of that. Right. Like in my, all like any success I've had, it's never been relied on this or that or, or two or three things. It's just this instinct, this culmination of hunt. I mean, at this point, thousands of days in the field, literally just paying attention to what's actually going on. And eventually you start developing this instinct of like, and everyone's instinct is different. Right. So it's like, yeah. that's why it's it, for me, it's important to not just like key in on like a piece of information that a guy is giving it, you know, take it and put it in your back pocket and remember it, but like, just develop your instinct, you know? So that's the last five years I've killed and West Virginia is a multiple buck state. So, um, 
you know, I, I shot a lot of good bucks in the last five years in West Virginia and then was able to, you know, apply that knowledge and those instincts and that mindset to when I actually moved to the Midwest where obviously everyone knows there's more readily available, um, quality deer. So I want to, that's kind of good. I want to dive into the West Virginia piece. Like I I wanted to hurry up and get to Missouri, but now I don't, um, I want to, I want to dive into the West Virginia piece because I'm just thinking about, you know, the places you were probably hunting there are probably not too much different than a lot of what I'm hunting here in the Northwest Georgia area. Probably not. Probably. I mean, the, the scale of topography is going to be different for me here. It's going to be a lot smaller. Um, but as far as like makeup of the woods and that kind of stuff, probably even deer quality, you know, it's probably going to be close to similar. Um, I'm, I'm just real curious when you started getting real serious, what are some of the things that helped you, you know, start locating some of these deer so that you can kill them on opening day? Cause I'm, or, you know, within that, those first few days, because I'm, I'm so intrigued. In fact, last time I had Jake on this podcast, uh, one of your buddies, like th- what I was talking to him about was killing a deer on opening day because I'm always fascinated by guys that can get it done early in the season because I've never had success early in the season. Right. So, you know, how are you locating these deer, keeping up with these deer in a big woods type of setting where you don't have soybeans to throw a camera on? Yeah. So two things, really three things. Um, the first thing is kind of found by, Okay. Let me, let me restart three things. Number one, you got to hunt where they are early season, right? So I don't like to rely on the rut or luck in the rut, but here's the basic fact of it is anyone can get lucky in the rut at any point at any time. That's widespread knowledge. You're not going to be three quarters of a mile away from bucks home range and just have him chase a doe by on September 15th or October 1st or something like that's just not going to happen. Right. So you, so number one is you have to hunt where he is early season. And what I've found, if you hunt the same area or the same property or multiple properties, very often bucks like certain areas or certain properties early season, but they won't be there in the rut and vice versa. Like I had a lot of different properties that I was super intimate with in West Virginia. And I can tell you this property lights up in these two weeks. This property is a great spot to kill one in the first five days of season. But after that, good luck. Mm. Right. And that, that is over a decade basically of like what I said earlier, being a student of the game and really paying attention to what's going on. Um, But the way you figure that out is two things for me is glassing and trail cameras, you know, trail cameras are, you know, pretty much everyone, most people run trail cameras. Right. Right. And like trail camera strategy, like there's some little hot tips and tricks that people could throw out or like, you know, I've got some things that I do that I feel like are maybe unique, but like generally if there's a buck in the area, you can usually find him with a trail camera or multiple trail cameras. If you, if you, have any sense as to what you're doing with cameras. Um, glassing is the thing that I'm a little more passionate about in general, but especially talking about because talking about West Virginia here, I'm not talking about bean fields. I'm not talking about winter wheat fields or giant food plots or, 
you know, I hunt out west a lot. So I'm not talking about glass and right. wide open landscapes. I'm talking about using high quality glass and painstakingly using high quality glass to catch a glimpse of a deer sometimes. Well, and that I, I definitely need to hear more on this because glassing plays almost no role for me here in, in the deep south. Um, but I feel like it's so much more valuable than a trail camera because I feel like one day of glassing can get you like a month's worth of data from a trail camera just because, I mean, how many times do you have a camera that you're like, ah, I'm only seeing this on camera and all of a sudden, like, you go sit that spot or in that area and you're like, man, I saw seven deer today, you know, and right. not, not one of them walked by the camera. Yeah, I would take I would take glassing intel over camera intel all day and seven days a week. You right. know, it's not even close to me. And there's a there's many reasons why for that. Even in places where glassing is difficult, I glass so much. And I think that I got that from getting into Western hunting so seriously. It's like you live and die by glass in the West, right? So, you know, I sucked it up and bought high-quality optics, which is another thing. It's like high-quality glass is worth every penny, and it holds its value. So it's like if you want to try it, and for whatever reason you got to sell them, you can probably sell them for just under what you bought them for if you buy high quality glass. Right. So, and it makes a huge difference in glassing, you know, picking out and even if it's hundred yards, you know, like people are like, well, I'm not looking two miles. It's like, well, you're looking at a field of CRP or tall fallow grass or something like that. And like, if you're trying to pick out the one time that's not swaying with the rest of the glass, you know, when I say glassing, everyone for whitetails, everyone thinks of, a big velvet buck out in a 400 acre bean field at sunset, you know, flat terrain. That's not what I do. I I can't do that in West Virginia. I did it here in Missouri, but when I'm talking glass and I'm talking glass and off the wall stuff, like maybe a power line, you know, power lines are hard. You know, they're, they're mentally hard to, to do because, you got to sit there with your eyes in the glass for sometimes an hour and a half. And that buck just walks across it in three seconds. Right. So if you're just like, you know, if you're with a buddy cutting it up or looking at your phone and every once in a while you're looking through your glass, you're you're probably going to miss him, you know, and I've seen that happen and I'm sure I've had that happen to me. That's another thing about high quality glasses. You're able to stay in it. Like when I'm out West hunting, I'm in the glass for hours looking for animals. So I, and put it out on tripod, put your binos on a tripod and just sit there and look through them for an hour and a half at a power line. You want to talk about mentally difficult, that's (laughs) mentally difficult, but I have seen some very big deer walk across power lines that I guarantee you nobody else has ever glassed in their life. Right. So like, that's, that's one thing I've done. And I'll glass just like little hay fields, you know, just like there might not be ag, but little hay fields, little corners of hay fields, stuff like that. Um, if there's like gas lines where they, it's basically a power line without the power poles, I've glassed those. I've glassed creek bottoms and river bottoms where it's anywhere from, you know, two to seven foot tall grass. And sometimes you can't see a deer until he stands up. Like I've glassed. I've glass bucks stand up out of tall grass where you can just see the very tips of their tines, 
but if they're 20, 20 inches apart, well, it's probably a pretty big deer. You know what I mean? It's like you can't yeah. even see the deer. Yeah. But again, I'm, I'm going to keep preaching on this, that high-quality glass. It's like being able to pick out those those tines. Like you're not looking for the whole deer sometimes. Like in a wide-open bean field, yeah, you can probably get by with some lower-quality glass. But when you're trying to pick out a tine or half a rack or something and in cover for scouting purposes – high quality glass makes all the difference. And, um, you know, and that's kind of like the more off the wall stuff. Like when you're glassing hay fields, they kind of come out just like a, a bean field, right? They come out in the hay. Sometimes the hay's tall. It's usually better if the hay's short, but I've glassed all, I've glassed all kinds of stuff, man. I've glassed, uh, I've, I've glassed apple trees, like at the edge of people's yards, you know, it's like I'll be sitting in my truck kind of stealthily and at the very, very brink of date, like last light, a buck comes to the apple tree and I know he's, you know, X, Y, Z back up in there. You know, it's like I just wanted to confirm he was still alive or something like that. Man. But just glassing is just huge for locating deer. And um, so are you really are you doing this during the summer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll start in June. OK. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll start in June and basically do it until I'm tagged out. That's, I mean, literally, I, I don't stop glassing. Right. Um, in season, glass all the time in season. Just the advantage you have with your optical vision looking through those binoculars is insane. The things we miss without those is mind-boggling once you start really getting into it. Um, but, yeah, you, like, just... And the thing, something I like about specifically for early, well, specifically for early season, but also other times of the season, what I like about glassing over trail cameras is you can learn a specific buck's personality, right? right? So, and this gets overlooked by so many people, in my opinion, and I've used this to kill deer where it's just like people, right? Like every, every person's got a different personality. Some people are more shy. Some people are kind of introverts. Some people are extroverts. Some people avoid conflict at all costs. And other guys, if you look at them wrong, they're going to punch you in your face, right? It's like deer, <laughs> deer are the exact same way. And I've, I pay attention to it and I'll, I'll take mental notes of like, okay, you know, this big eight point with the split, whatever, like he's, he's a bully buck. Like even in the summer, you can just tell if you watch their body language, like I'm not just looking in a field. Okay. That's good deer. All right. He's in the area. I'll come back opening day and try to kill him. Absolutely not. I'm watching that deer every day that I can watching his body language, watching how he interacts, where does he enter a field, you know, or if I'm watching like a thick patch, like is he bedding in the same spot multiple times? Cause some deer, some deer are just kind of patternable by nature. Same as people, right? Like right. some people are stuck in a routine. Like they eat the same thing for lunch every day. They drive the same way to work every day. They watch the same TV show every Monday night. Same thing with deer. Some some deer are just naturally more routine. And other, you know, sometimes you get people that's like, you never know where that dude's going to be. You know, you don't need, <laughs> you know, he's working here this week and he quit. Now he's over here. And he's like, now he moved to Florida. Deer are the same way, right? Like some deer and I hate those deer, by the way, they are so hard to kill. <laughs> they don't make that, it high on your that, list. 
that that comes into something we're probably going to talk about is determining killability. Right. 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 So if you can learn that preseason, you know, basically, huh? I'm not going to put as many chips in that deer. Mm. Right. Like that deer could be a giant and I might try to learn as much about him as I can and try to exploit a weakness that I try to see. But man, if you find the right deer and you have enough time to just get out there a bunch and watch him, I mean, he's dead. I mean, it's just, if you can learn him, I mean, it's just, it's by far the deadliest tactic for me. Um, you know, yeah, five years I've shot those deer within the first four days. One of them, I will call a trail camera kill. Like I learned it was an inglassable area. And I say that, but I also glass the deer. So, you know, <laughs> it was probably like 50% camera, 50% glassing, but the other four of the five were hundred percent glassing. Like never would have knew they were there. Never would have got a shot, but because of glassing, I was able to move in and, and strike. Um, and they were actually all on opening day other than, well, no, two of them, two of them weren't on opening day, but Man. the glassing is just so critical, like yeah. to learn not just what he's doing or how big he is, but learn the deer itself. Like you're not, you're not like, I don't know. There's just this disconnect. I feel like, and I used to have this disconnect. It's like, okay, here's this individual big deer but I'm just out there hunting big deer. It's like, no, you're hunting that deer. Right. And that's just outside of the rut. I feel like you almost have to hunt that way. I do. I don't, I have to hunt that way. I have to hunt specific deer. And in West Virginia, the last three years, I hunted specific deer in the rut. You know, I killed, I killed target deer in the rut when I planned to kill them in the rut because that's another thing is like historical data of a deer. If you can watch a deer starting at like two and watching for two, three years and you're doing, I'm saying glassing, like if you're out there glassing and there's multiple deer and there's that one big shooter, don't overlook the two year old 200 yards to the left. Right. Watch that deer too. Cause that's the deer that you're going to kill in two or three years. Right. You know what right. I mean? And it's like, don't just say, okay, he's a 95 inch two year old eight point check, move on watch him, learn him. So I'm sure you can imagine that if you're doing this, if you're going out all the time trying to learn all these different deer, not just deer that you're going to kill this year or next year, but two years in advance, and you're not just taking note of their size, you're actually learning these deer. It takes a, it takes a ridiculous amount of time sometimes, right. you know, it's like, and that's, that's the number one thing that I think kills them is right. time. So, and, where, you know, I know Jake loves to get on, you know, those thermal hubs where he's at there in Ohio for that hill country. Yep. Before we start our glassing process, and, and, and sometimes the glassing process may be how we just find the deer in general. But I'm sure you've got spots that you're looking for that are like, hey, these are the areas that I tend to start my process. What does that look like for you? Are you a hub fan or, you know, are you, are you, are you starting behind the glass and kind of fine tuning from there? Oh, I start behind the glass, 100%. Okay. Right. Yeah, start behind the glass. And in West Virginia, it was, hey, I'm going to go glass what I can glass, right? Because mm, there's okay. not a lot. There's not a lot of – it's mostly all forested landscape, right? right? That's why I'm saying it's like power line or maybe there's a hay field. 
you know, or something like that. It's like, I'm going out with glass, looking at everything I can glass and eventually I'll find something. And then I'm going to backtrack from there. Um, I think that you can focus on, uh, some more specific features in areas with higher densities of big deer. But in West Virginia, if you do that, you're not going to kill next level deer consistently. Right. Like, they're just not, there's just not very many. Like they're so rare to find, you know, and I'm sure I miss deer that aren't in glassful areas. Well, trail cameras, like that's where, right. that's where the trail cameras come in. But I will say that, I have a I have better luck killing deer with trail camera data in the rut than I do early season. And I have better luck killing glassing intel in the early season. Now I've mixed and matched that multiple times, but in general that's kind of my because I think that in early season they're 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 seeking, especially in the summer when you have entirety forested woods there's not a lot of good growth for them to eat on the forest floor. Right. Acorns aren't dropping yet. You know, if there's no soft mass, which like fruit trees were almost non-existent where I'm from. So they almost, they almost deer just in general kind of want to go to those non-forested areas for browse. Well, Hey, good for me. That's where I can actually see them. Right. right. Even if it's like tall stuff where like just the tips of the antlers are sticking out that's still where the plants are getting more sunlight and that's where the, those plants are going to have more nutrients than the little scrubby stuff that's grown up you know, on the ground in the woods. So they kind of just naturally go there to, to feed, especially in the summer, like I said, pre mass drop. That's why I think I have such good luck finding them in the summer in those types of areas, because those types of areas are limited. But once you move into the season, mass drop occurs a lot of those open areas, that good feed kind of dies. Pressure moves in. Those deer now are typically more reserved to cover, right? Like everyone knows shed their velvet. You get two weeks later and it's like, okay, these bucks are not doing what they were doing. Now they're sticking into cover. That's when I typically try to find them with trail cameras and try to develop a pattern via trail camera. Um, and historical data with trail cameras is, is so killer, you know, in certain situations. And that's why like, I've killed, I've killed multiple deer in the rut where I called my shot, you know, basically like I'm going to kill this deer on this day or in this window. And it happened. And it's, it's like hunting specific deer in the rut is a totally different game than hunting specific deer in early season. And I much prefer it early season because it's stressful in the rut because <laughs> early season, early season, they're there. Like they might be coming out too late or, um, you know, they might be doing these little micro shifts, but like in the rut, I mean, that deer could be four miles away on Friday and you're like, well, he showed up here on November 4th for three years in a row. And then you go in on Saturday, November 4th, and he walks four miles overnight and you kill him the next day. And it's right. like, it's just, it, it's all, it's like a stressful pursuit hunting yeah. specific deer in the rut, which I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that this year. Cause I was just trying to <laughs> shoot whatever good buck I could find out here this year, but yeah, I didn't have enough history to do it that way. But, um, back in West Virginia, you know, I was trying to kill like the top, like the top one, maybe 2% of bucks around. Right. So it's like, well, that's the only buck I have to go after. You know, it's like, I have to figure out how to kill him during the rut. And he, he's on, I'm only getting him on a property 
that I can't hunt him on early season. Well, I could, but he's not here. Mm. So there's no point in hunting him. I can't get permission anywhere else. So it's like, I have to kill him when he's here, which is during the rut. So it's like, you, it's like you're forced into kind of playing that hand, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I'm, I'm like, my mind is reeling with places right now that I'm like, okay, I've got several spots that I know of that if I get a little bit creative, I can glass. Like, there's a lot of them starting to add up. And so <clears throat> there's one spot in particular. I'm like, okay, so you mentioned, you know, you, you catch them on the glass and then you start backtracking them from there. I'm like, okay, so then what? If I saw one there, then what? I'm like, oh, okay, this is there. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to start putting some of this into practice. But uh, so, all right, so you moved from West Virginia, though. Like, you obviously were finding success there in what I would consider a more difficult place to hunt than Missouri. I may be wrong. I don't know. Um, but man, it, 100%. It, it, yeah, I just, I, I, sorry guys, if you're in the Midwest, your, your hunting is easier. Like I just, I just yeah. gotta, I just gotta throw it out there. For, I think, for much of I it. think it comes with its own challenges. Correct. Absolutely. It comes with its own challenges. Yep. But when you're talking strictly opportunity, like how many big deer right. do I have to chase here versus how many right. big deer do I have to chase back in West Virginia? It's it's a black and white conversation. And yeah, Midwestern guys hate hearing that. I'm sorry. It's true. It just, it's just true. Right. You know, right. Um, in certain areas of every state is going to be better than other areas. Like if you're in, I don't know, we'll use different states. If you're in Pennsylvania, there's areas of Pennsylvania that are a lot better than other areas of Pennsylvania. Correct. You go to, whatever, uh, Illinois, like there's, there's areas in Illinois that are way better than other areas of Illinois. But like as a whole, right. I would say nobody's going to hunt Pennsylvania or Illinois, right. right. <laughs> if they're trying yeah. to, if they're, yeah. if they're just trying to kill a big deer, you know, we'll just use slightly different States, but, um, the Midwest just has so much more opportunity for big deer. Right. Right. Just, just a lot more of them on the landscape. Like I'm just thinking about, so the County that I grew up in, uh, in Alabama, I think the the largest deer from that county ever, like barely made 130 inches, right. and then like the next ones after that are like 115, 117. I mean they're not. We yeah. you just don't see. It. I mean if we if we kill on the family farm if we kill a buck that's you know 95 to 100 inches, 105 inches, like he's going on the wall. You know yeah. that's a that's a giant deer. Now we're we're near the Gulf Coast, so. Right. You know, they're basically eating sand and drinking salt water for a living, but right. Seaweed um, bucks. yeah, yeah, there's not, there's not a lot for them out there, but, um, yeah, they're just way more prevalent in the Midwest. And, uh, so anyway, so you make the move, was it, was it for work that you made the move or were you, were you looking yeah. for like a whitetail destination? No, not at all. It was, it was all work based. It was all outside of hunting based life circumstances okay. that, that dropped me here. Um, yeah. So you know, and I was just thinking, it's like, okay, this is going to be difficult because it's all new, but at least I think there's going to be more, more good deer around. Right. Know? So, right. So you're, you're dropped there at the end of June. Yep. You have not a lot of time to try to get it done. Okay. Right. So no. mentally, you know, and, and, and I'd like you to speak maybe to mindset as we, as we kind of navigate these next couple of weeks and months of what your scouting looked like. Where did you even start, man? Like you, you're, you finally get on the ground. Had you done a lot of map scouting of this area before you got to Missouri or was it like a man, once I get there, once I get unpacked and moved in, 
then I can kind of start leaning into that. So it was a severe roller coaster. So mm-hmm. on top of just non-hunting stuff, right? Like you move across the country, you're starting a new job, you've got orientations and, and trainings and getting used to the job and you've got a house you've got to unpack and get organized. So it's just like on top of all that crap, I'm also trying to figure out where the heck am I going to shoot a deer this year? Right. So yeah, my plan was actually to try to hunt almost all private. That was my plan. Oh, coming out. okay. Yeah. So my plan coming out here was to try to be very strategic about what properties I was trying to ask permission on. Like I had this whole plan. I mean, master plan of what pro like seeking out properties private that are severely overlooked by people that like don't look good, but for whatever reason, I feel like have the opportunity to produce something really big. So I had this whole plan and, you know, not basically no big properties. It was all going to be like little micro properties. And then I was just going to kind of pick and choose and hunt throughout the season and try to replicate some of the strategies I used on small properties in West Virginia. Cause I hunted, I hunted some really small properties. Like some of them, some of them were uh, little private properties and some of them were little, like really little public pieces. Um, so that was my whole plan. I got out here and basically all of June, well, not all of June, the, what part I was here in June and probably at least half of July, if not three quarters of July, I spent just knocking on doors, trying to talk to people, dozens and dozens of people. Listen, Missouri people need to be a little more lenient, all right? Because I, <laughs> I could not get a single yes Man. on any piece of property. And I, I've asked for permission in multiple states for multiple species and I'm telling you right now, this was the, the worst place I I had a, I was really excited. I got permission on this little 13 acre piece where there was a monster buck, like probably one of the biggest deer I saw all year in Missouri, got permission on it. And then I got called two days later and they, the husband didn't want me there because his buddy was going to hunt that deer or something Uh, like that. So I got it revoked. So, so so now here I am now I'm in like late July so I'm late July. So now it's not even, so basically a month of wasted time. And I'm like, season starts September 15th. And I, and I did a high country Colorado mule deer hunt, um, right which, before the opener, which was also incredible, which was an incredible <laughs> hunt. Um, yeah. Killed a, like just a dream buck, uh, solo in the mountains. It was just awesome. But that took up more time preseason. So right. I'm like, man, I got like a month, like maybe five or six weeks max before opening day gets here. Like I, you know, I got to figure this out. So I basically was like, well, I know I can hunt public, right? Like I know, I'm sure if I kept after the permission game, like as hard as I could, I would eventually pick something up. But then there's no guarantee that there's going to be a buck on that piece. Right. Right. So right. my plan was to have, like a lot of little pieces and kind of work my way through the deck. But at that point I was like, I don't think that that's going to happen. Like I might waste another month, month and a half picking up two little pieces. And then it's like, now, I'm, now I don't have any public preparation and I'm banking on these two pieces. And like, that's just not me. So I, I literally changed 180 
late July and was like, I'm going all public this year. Let's just get after it. So that's a mindset thing right there. I'll touch on is know when to change. And this, that exact mentality killed one of my deer later in the year. I'll touch on that in a minute, but um, know when to change, you know, know when you're just spinning your wheels and know when to change. So pivoted 180 to start hitting public. And I was like, I've got like five weeks basically, you know? So man, I, I, I think at that point, I literally think I glassed. I mean, I was glassing like every day. Like, I mean, there was like a couple of days where work stuff came up and I'm not glassing. I don't have anywhere, anywhere close to my house to hunt. Like I was driving anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours to glass after work, you know, it's every day for weeks, you know, it's like the amount of gas I burned is disgusting. You know, the amount of deer I found is also disgusting. So it's like, you know, and I was, I was glassing almost all public, but I was also glassing like private close to public. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, maybe I'll get permission, but also like strategically, um, I found in the Midwest, a lot of times you'll find situations where like the best cover after crops come out is public. Right. Right. So that deer might be like a mile away, but he, he's either going to lay in a cut bean field or he's going to go to that public. Right. right. So, you know, I, I looked at some stuff like that but mainly focused on public and um, did glass deer, like in your stereotypical bean fields, um, glassed a lot of big deer in places that I promise you no one else was glassing them. Just like way overlooked stuff, especially in the Midwest where I saw a ton of people glassing, which is, which was new to me for whitetail, but they're all looking at bean fields. Right. Um, Right. So dude, so those, those like overgrown fields and, you know, almost CRP looking stuff or anything with like, you know, you get into late summer, anything with goldenrod in it. That's the stuff that I loved when I was in Wisconsin to, to be glass and that stuff. Cause it was like, people would leave it alone and they'd be, they'd all be, you know, three, three trucks deep at the soybean field down near mm-hmm. the public. But meanwhile, this spot here has got three bucks out feeding in the, you know, in this pasture that's been let go. Yep, and they're 100%. All, you know, it's just wild. Yeah. Now those bucks are hard to kill because they can bed in it, stand yeah. up and feed yeah. in it until I, dark. I never did kill one doing that. So <laughs> Right. Right. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. So, but yeah, man, so that's basically what I did was I just pivoted and I just started hitting hitting the glass on public. Another thing is... um, uh, trail cameras are illegal on public land in Missouri. Here. Is that illegal? So, illegal. Really? On 
on the vast majority of public land in Missouri, they're illegal. So I, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. So, so there went like a significant portion of my past strategy. Wow. So now I was like, I have to figure out how to kill a deer in five weeks using glass and looking at their tracks in the dirt in a state that I've never been in on ground that I've never been in. So, See, and this is what was when I first started hearing about your story, what was so fascinating to me because you just sounded like a dude with like everything stacked against you. It felt like it, but it also, it fired me up in a way that I, I hadn't been in, in, you know, quite a few years. Um, because it's just like, this is going to be really, really hard. Right. Like I'd say the last handful of years, I've been that way with all my Western hunts. Cause it's like, man, this is going to be so hard. Like just physically grueling or a new species. It's like new mountain ranges, but like my whitetail thing back in West Virginia, it's like, I don't want to say I had it figured out, but I had a lot higher level of confidence and a higher level of comfort. Right. 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 But out here it was like, Holy crap. Like this does not sound good on paper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, this is, does not sound good. So yeah, so using glass and looking at tracks in the dirt um, for five weeks, you know, tops, like tops, uh, just visited a whole bunch of different public pieces, found a ton of good bucks in the summer, and it was all for the goal to kill on, like, opening day in Missouri, and I was like, that's that's what I want to do, um, and I ended up, you know, finding a bunch of different gear, and I started, kind of made my, like, internal hit list if you will say of like where they all are but then I started then I started narrowing it down um and I had some stats that I remember I told Jake like back because I was keeping a loose record of everything back then um but uh yeah I just like I had a loose loose stats of how many deer and you know but I started narrowing it down like okay like I've only seen that deer once I've looked at this area a whole bunch like he's you know scratch him out I found a couple like I found one deer that's still like in the back of my head I'm like I don't think I could have killed him based on where he was based on all the things but he was just so freaking big Mm. that I was like man but you know there's some uh, there's some parameters that really really had a lot of you know like the hunting pressure was insane on on that piece right and that's the same piece i ended up killing the buck i killed but uh, i knew basically man i just found all these deer you know i think i had like 27 20 some shooters found and i just narrowed it down to like i had three bucks in mind um for opening day uh really opening weekend right right um, so- i was like there's three bucks that out of those 20 some that I think I have a really, really solid crack at. And one in particular, um, that I was like, I think I can kill that deer. And man, he looked really good. Like coming out in velvet, I was like, man, he looks really, really good. Big freaking frame, 10 point, just a beautiful deer. But he was very, very consistent. Hmm. Um, but he wasn't consistent in like the he's out here every single day. He was consistent in he came out at the same spot every time. Interesting. But he came out at the same spot every time, but he didn't come out every day. But 
every time that there was any sort of weather front, he was there in shooting lane. So, like, stagnant days, you you could go, like, seven stagnant days in a row, not see him. But, like, the minute, the like, the wind picks up on a day or precipitation was the big thing, um, there was not a single day with precipitation that I did not see him. Um, we didn't really get any big cold fronts in the summer. Um, it's, like, hotter than heck in Missouri in the summer yeah. compared to where I'm from. So, but, yeah, I keyed in on that big time was that, like, he was maybe the least consistent of the three as far as, like, number of days but the other bucks the other bucks used various like routes right various bedding areas various uh, travel corridors uh, they would enter the food sources at different points so it was like I saw them more but they weren't as consistent so I knew leading up to season I was like okay I've got the opening weekend is basically my crack at these deer because after that pressure is going to ruin everything Right. Like the pressure, I knew the pressure was going to be absolutely insane. I was like, I have to kill this deer the first weekend. And that, the buck I'm talking about is like, okay, as long as there's some front of any kind that weekend, I should get a crack at him. So, fast forward to opening day, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in after this deer. I go in, set up, I was on the ground, um, couldn't get into, couldn't get into a tree, uh, set up on the ground, and he did not show and I was like I was fairly stressed out um, but I did have another mature buck like it was a four and a half year old solid eight pretty good deer honestly but I'd passed him and I was like I'm still holding out hope that I can kill that big 10 because the next day the second day of season there was uh, like a little rain squall coming through at like 2 p.m and then ending right before. And I was like, this is it. Gotcha. Like, it's going to rain for like half an hour or an hour and then just move through. It's like every time that has happened over the last month, I've seen this deer. Right. Every now, time there's precipitation. So early in a season like this, are you, you know, you're anticipating pressure, obviously. Um, and I'm sure there is some pressure already being applied by other guys who are probably diving in. They're probably, you know, doing a lot of scouting, probably hanging, you know, uh, hanging tree stands and that kind of thing, doing a lot of work. Um, are you the type that's going to say, hey, look, they're hitting this food source, so I'm going to start there? Or are you swinging for the fences and trying to push way in? The first two days, I'm hunting them where I'm watching them. Okay. I'm, All right. I'm not – because – and I would maybe change my answer if I had one buck located. Right. If I had one buck, you know, but another part of killability that went into my like unalgorithm algorithm in my head is hunting pressure. So right. this buck I'm talking about, he's in, he's coming out in an area, he's he's coming in, he's betting off the property. So I'm like, okay, there's a lower chance of him getting messed up in in his bed, and then he's coming through. Like, his whole travel route into the food source, there was one tree you could hunt. Mm. One tree. One tree you could kill that deer from. And you had to have an east wind to kill it. Interesting. Okay. So, I'm like, okay. that's That was a big part of it. I'm like, okay, this, this deer in this spot is probably not going to receive. Like, dude, I had deer 
I had deer that were there every single day for five weeks. Like I could, I could see them every day. Like there was a batch group of three shooter bucks every single day. I knew that those deer were not going to be there like the five days leading up to season because everybody and their brother knew those deer were there. Right. Right. So I like one of them was a stud too. Like really cool deer, like big 10 point with a big, like 10, 12 inch inline coming off his right main beam. I was like super cool deer, but what's the point? You know, what's the point I'm trying to kill a deer that's just, it's not going to be killable there, you know? And I could have, I could have, and if he was my only option, I I could have anticipated where is he going to go? Right. Right. Like that's kind of like some next level thinking, but man, your odds of pulling that off, you could do it, right? Like, obviously, you could do it, but, but your odds of just going and killing the other really big deer that is super patternable in a spot where you don't think it's going to get pressured on opening day, like, why not try to do that instead, right? Yep. And I had multiple backups. Like, before I before I dwindled down my list of bucks to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I got to figure out where that inline buck went, you know, I had 10 other deer I was going to hunt before I'd get down to that point, right? So it's really just about narrowing in this, like, and, and I try to not get stuck on the biggest inches. Right. You know, like, like I said, I saw one typical, I only saw him one time, but he's the biggest typical white tail I've ever seen. And, uh, mm. he's big, like really, really big. And just, I only saw him once. I tried to locate him a bunch of other times and I just couldn't. Um, so, you know, I just, I just like, okay, like he's not, if, it, if that was the only buck I had to go after, then, yeah, I'm putting all my chips on that buck. But I'm just the kind of guy that, like, I'm just not going to chase ghosts. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'll chase hard-to-kill big deer, but I don't. I would rather chase hard-to-kill big deer than chase a giant ghost, right, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's just how. That's just who I am. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I was like narrowing it all down. I got this ten point. I'm like, okay, he's coming out in the same spot, you know. So hunting opening day, past that that four and a half year old, and I was just like, second day, do I go back? He didn't show because there was a there was a slight cold front opening day. Like I thought I was going to kill him opening day, you know, but I that was a I had just gotten back from Colorado, and I'm like, well, you know, was there guys in here while I was gone? You know, it's like all this stuff runs through my head. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it the second day because this rain's coming in. And for whatever reason, that's what I'm saying. Like I've never put a precipitation to deer correlation with any other buck I've ever killed except Mm. this one. But this dude just moved when it was wet outside. Like he just did. And I don't know why I don't need to know why I just need to know that he did. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I got in there and yeah, man. Um, it's kind of a crazy story, but, uh, just to keep it short, you know, for time's sake, he, yeah, he came out at the, on the exact trail that I thought he was going to. And it was a long shot. Um, it had to be a long shot because it was the only place, the only place that I could set up. I had this all planned out like preseason. I went in there. I was like, okay, looks it all over. It's like, I have to, this was like a month before basically when I found him after, after I'd seen him do it a couple times, I was like, I need to get an idea of what I'm, what I'm going to do in there um, on the opener. I was like, I need to set up over there, shoot him here. I was like, that's a far shot, but it's the only place. Like, if I, if I tried to push in closer, 
super, super high chance of getting busted, like really high chance of getting busted. And I, like, I, I shoot a lot. So I was more confident. I was more confident in my ability to take a longer shot than chancing, you know, drifty winds at last light. Right. Right. Yep. So set up there, he came out on the exact trail I thought and, uh, you know, shot him and then, uh, he ended up running and betting, um, kind of saw him bedded, stocked up on him and, uh, he stood up to get away, but he was like, he was on the way down basically. And I, I shot him again, second arrow, even further and just got him, you know, um, tracked him that night. I only tracked him like 60 yards into the woods, but I'm just, I'm always, I'm always like a, if, if in doubt back out, right. Always right. personally, except some rare occasions. So I backed out, came back in first thing in the morning, found him, you know, stiff dead. And just, I was just elated, man. I was like, I did it. Like I, you know, I'm, I moved out here, no trail cameras, five weeks on public net, like never. And, and stuck with what I wanted to do was kill one in the first couple of days. Like, yeah, it wasn't opening day, but like second day is pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, for sure. you know, I just, it was such a feeling of elation and just kind of like self pride, you know, right. like, like I don't do it. I don't do it for anybody else. You know, I just do it for me. And like, I don't really need to make anyone else proud. Like, I don't really care about that. Like I, but it's for me, you know, it's like, that's what it was. It was just a, it was a really cool moment. And like every deer that I kill is very sentimental to me, honestly, for different reasons. And this one was different than all the other ones, you know? And it was just, um, actually I'm sitting right here. Yeah. It was just different than, than all the other ones that I've killed before, just because of the circumstances. Right. You know, it's just like, what a tank. He's just got a big frame, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, he just oh, came wow. out and awesome. watched him for five weeks, basically. I mean, I don't know how many times I watched him, but it was a lot. I learned his personality. Like, I knew he wasn't a very aggressive deer, but he wasn't, like, super shy. He was just kind of like that middle of the road where, like, he'd hang out with other deer, but he wasn't really a certain dominance. Um, the, the four-year-old eight was actually a super, super dominant bully buck like that was the buck that was kind of bullying all the other bucks even though there was some older bucks he was the one that was kind of running the show and he was not crazy big rack wise um but like that's like if for whatever reason i wanted to target that buck i would keep that in the back of my mind you know it's like okay maybe you don't kill him early season and you see that buck in the rut you better believe i'm rattling or snorweezing at that buck right or maybe i was watching a buck and learned he was real timid in the summer I'm not doing that in the rut. Right, right. And maybe even grunting at that one early season. Yeah. You know, give him give yeah. him some reason to think there's another buck out there in the field that he, or, you know, somewhere close to it that he should come check out. Uh, so what does that look like for you now? Yeah, man, this, I, I didn't intend to talk to you about glassing the whole time, but it's, it's, <clears throat> it's such a part of my, it's such a weak part of my own hunting. Like I glass a lot for turkeys because I just mm-hmm. love to glass for turkeys like I, I love watching them i love watching what they do i love the fact that i don't have to worry about them smelling me so i can kind of like 
when I'm scouting turkeys, I can kind of like follow them through the woods for a day and just mm-hmm. like watch them from, you know, 200 yards away and see what they're, what they're doing. Um, are you glassing even now? Like now that you're, now that you're, are you done hunting? First of all, are you, are you finished for the year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're done for the year. Are you out glassing even now trying to gain more Intel for n- next season or will that yeah. start afresh for you in, in the summer? No, typically, um, typically I will be, it's a little different right now just because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm still not like super intimate with certain areas or properties. Right. But that, that's what would come. Right. So, um, I think the, I'm going to answer from the sense of West Virginia, you know, kind of back home, which would be a little more applicable to guys that did not move across the country six months ago. (laughs) Yes. I'm glassing all the time. So I know I killed a buck. I killed a buck a couple years ago that I glassed him all the way until he shed his antlers. Um, and then I was actually glassing him. He was kind of, he was, uh, distinguishable by some like body marks. Right. So I didn't really need the antlers. He had a super distinguishable, distinguishable body. So I remember glassing him. Um, I remember I was turkey scouting in April and I was out there and, um, before I went to roost birds at like last, last light, I was like, I'm going to go glass for that buck. And I ended up seeing him in April where I thought he would be. So, I mean, interesting. Yeah. So that buck, that buck I had a ton of history with. I mean, I, I watched that buck like a ton and, uh, ended up killing him. That's a whole other crazy story. Ended up losing property, got sold, lost permission, called the new owner. I was like, told him the whole story. He was like, I'll let you hunt this season for that buck only. Went in first day. I went in after he killed him. So, Jeez. so that was, Holy that was cow. cool. But yeah, Holy so cow. I just like learning individual deer, yeah. you know, um, and like not all the deer I've ever killed have been something like that, but most of them have been pretty targeted. Like I want to kill that deer in this spot at this time. And that's, yeah. So, but glassing. So that's an example of like keeping tabs on a specific deer. Right. Um, so I'll do that, but I'll also keep tabs on spots. So okay. like admittedly, I haven't hunted late season a lot because I'm, typically tagged out by late season, but there have been times where I've purposely went and glassed areas. Like I think this property could be good late season and I'll glass it. And it's like, no, cause late season is usually hit or miss. Right. Like they're either, right. you're either in deer or it's like a ghost town. Right. So like I know of properties back there just in the back of my head right now that's like, yeah, late season, they stack up in this area. Or if you're hunting this that property, you better kill him before, you know, November 20th because after that, there's like not a deer on the place until spring. Um, so a lot of times I'll go glass just to monitor kind of the, the DNA of a property. Yeah. But then other times I'm going to actually monitor – bucks like specific deer like did he make it you know or i know he made it and i know he's here and i've got an hour so why not just go watch him like right. if i can like just you like just learn as much about them as possible you know what i mean yeah um and it's just it takes a lot of time and like that's the biggest thing with classing or just scouting in general 
is just the time. And like, it is, it's a really big sacrifice. And, you know, a lot of guys aren't willing to make it to that level. And they're probably a little more sane than I feel like I am at times. Cause I mean, just, I mean, like on a real note, like the things that I've kind of missed out on or given up or sacrificed, like sometimes when I, when I sit and like look back on it, it, I don't want to say I question it, but it, it really makes you think, you know, yeah. like, I mean, real, real talk, like, you know, it's produced some incredible results for me, but it's also like, you know, should I put that much time into it? Um, so like on the, on the, on the flip side of things, like, I know that's not what, you know, people usually say or people want to hear, but like, right. that goes on, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you think about it and it's like, well, it's kind of necessary for the success that you want to have. Right. And that's what I've learned is that you either have to sacrifice, you either have to sacrifice whatever it is in order to have the time to dedicate, to gain the success that you want to have, or you need to sacrifice maybe some of that success to save some of that time for other things. And I think that just depends on the individual person and their lives and their priorities. And, you know, like where I'm at in life right now is different than where I'm going to be five years from now versus 25 years from now. And, you know, my priorities are going to change just like everyone's does, you know, throughout life. But just like the time, it just takes so much time to like learn these deer on such an intimate level, you know, But, yeah. yeah, man, that's a that's a really good point. Like, <clears throat> I see a lot of that talk about hard work and sacrificing sleep and sacrificing other fun things you could be out doing. But like, man, it's a sac- It's not just the sacrifice of that. It is the sacrifice of time with other people, like in your life. Mm-hmm. It's the sacrifice of that that others are having to make for for your sake, you know, and and coming to terms with that sometimes can be, can be tough. And, and you just, you know, like you said, there is a point where you have to say, okay, there's a balance in there. And and this is kind of where I'm at. So I've got three young kids and a wife. We've been married for 15 years. Like where I'm kind of like in the throes of like dad stuff, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Like that is where I am. Um, But what that means is there's a balance between being dad and being a successful deer hunter that I have to strike in there where I can like look at myself in the mirror at night, you know, before I go to bed or in the morning when I get up and I haven't perfected it yet, but it definitely doesn't include me not hunting at all. Um, you know, and it, and it does include me, me putting in enough work to be somewhat successful. And, you know, I guess eventually I'll get that right. But about, about the time I figure it out, it'll be time for us to transition into like a new stage and I'll have a whole right. new, and you, you got to figure it all out. again. That's right. It'll be a whole new yeah. balance and, and I won't know what, what, you know, what to do then. But man, real quick, I don't want to keep you all night, but like the rest of your season was just as awesome as the first bit. So tell me, you know, give me a, a quick synopsis of like where things went from here. I mean, cause that obviously is, is huge. Like you, located these deer you whittled it down to a couple of killable bucks you got in there you got it done and on day two but like it didn't stop there for you yeah so after i killed that buck um i took like a couple week hiatus actually and that's why i had a lot of pressure on me to kill 
a buck opening weekend because mm. after opening weekend, I knew I couldn't hit the woods again until October. I had other, I had other life things that higher priority, you know, right. like the second half of September, higher priority stuff in life needed to be taken care of. Right. And, um, I knew like, Hey, I'm, I have a couple of days to hunt on the opener. So after that, you know, kind of passed now it's early October and, um, now I've got to go out and do it all over again. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the, uh, you know, so in Missouri, um, Missouri is a two buck state and you get, uh, one during archery and then one has to come after the opener on your, on your like base license has right. to come after the start of gun season. So I had to do it all over again, new public, find new bucks, new areas traveling. So I, um, I think I've said this on another podcast, but so I, I put a, um, like a soft cap on my truck. Right. And I threw a foam pad in the bed of my truck with a cooler and all my gear. Right. I slept in my truck. I slept in my truck an average of three and a half nights a week. So half, half the nights (laughs) per week, I slept in my truck for seven weeks holy cow so i was literally sleeping in my truck the same amount as my own bed for seven weeks wow so that's yeah so the whole mindset thing um and back to like the sanity thing i think i kind of pushed the limits of myself and of the people around me this year I'm not saying I wouldn't do it again but it was definitely a learning experience but it needed to like if I didn't do that I I wouldn't I wouldn't be sitting here talking about you know being tagged out right um basically all of October was just scouting and like a couple very targeted hunts and I had one close call um on a really, really cool buck in like mid October spot and stock and honestly should have killed him past some really past like the biggest year I've ever passed in October, like three different bucks that would all be the biggest year I've ever passed. Um, cause I just wanted to like, I just wanted something really solid and I just, and I just kept hunting and hunting and scouting and scouting, mainly scouting. And I was on the road and then like, you know, I'd get home and, 1130 I get before to go to work I go work and I work tens it's like work work and then it's like evenings on the couple days that I'm home I'm packing the truck for the next four days and like Mm. you know just it's just crazy man for like a month and a half it was just go 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 and then like early November hit and I'm like okay we're into the rut just bouncing around and um I just feel, I felt like I was in a rut, man, like a big rut. And I was just like, screw it. Like I just got on some maps, looked at a place I have never been to. I was like, you know what? There's some features in there that look good. I'm just going to go in there. And like the rut is one of those things that there's two ways. I feel like to hunt it. You either, you either hunt where you know they're going to be, which is what I prefer to do. Meaning historical cameras, 
historical sightings, right, on a property you're right. intimate with, or you go figure out where it's happening right now and right. kill them right now because right. it's going to be different tomorrow, right. right? So I was like, all right, like, so I, I, uh, I drove multiple hours at night, pulled into a parking lot at like 1230 at night, slept in my truck, and I was getting ready. Uh, I was getting ready to head in that morning, and it was like truck, 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 and I was like, oh, man. I was like, talk to the guys, and it, it sounded like that piece was not overlooked like I thought. But there was another piece that I was planning on going to in the afternoon to scout that was just down the road. I'm like, all right, like I'm just going to adjust on the fly. So basically, I'm going to try to keep it short for time's sake. I go up the road, go into this new piece, first light, gray light, head in. All my stuff's on my back just in case. Um, end up bumping a stud with a doe, and there was uh, other small bucks chasing in that area. Kind of made a small adjustment. A couple hours later, he comes back in. I separated him and the doe, so I was like, I need to be here because it's some – and there was another hot doe that came through, and so I set up where the two hot doe trails crossed each nice. other. Nice. So I basically so, – yeah, so I was on my way up this ridge, and a, a small buck chased a doe, like, and you could tell it wasn't just, like, bumping her. Like, she was coming in, I think, because it was still, like, a – it was a, a small buck. They, they kind of come – across the ridge, come past me. And then like five minutes later, I bumped the stud in that doe. They separate. He goes to my right. She goes to the left. Um, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to set up. He's going to come back looking for that doe right. at some point. And maybe he's going to get on that other doe scent. Maybe he gets on his doe scent. Maybe he ends up finding her, brings her right back to where he had her, something. So I was like, I just need to set up here. So I did. And a couple hours later, he ended up coming back and I shot him. Um, so, you know, I've never, it's basically like a rut bump and dump, uh, on a piece of property hours away from my, where I'd been hunting, just went into it, found it, figured it out and, and executed like just, and that's what I was talking about earlier, where you need to know when to change because I had invested like a month over a month into kind of not like one property, but a general area ish and, it just wasn't happening. Like it just was not happening. So I just on the fly left. And like I said, got there after midnight and then within 12 hours, you know, had a, a really, really good deer on the ground. Um, and that deer was, man, he was big, like body wise, the biggest white tail I've ever seen by far. Like he was, um, just, uh, just an absolute tank most mass on a buck I've ever shot too. just like super, super cool buck, super cool hunt. Um, so, you know, came home from that and got him all taken care of. And then I think it was the next weekend, um, Missouri gun season opened up. So I went to a, uh, so my strategy was to try to hunt, uh, an archery only area during okay. gun season. Right? right. So it's like, I know some people have talked about that before. I'm, Definitely more of an archery. I don't discriminate against gun hunting at sure. all. Like I'm not archery only, but I'm I'm definitely more of a bow hunter. Um, so I was like, I'm going to try to hunt these archery only areas. So I got into some of those and just kept getting walked in on by rifle hunters. This one really? after another, and I was just like, oh my gosh, guys in their so, gun hunting, huh? Guys in their gun hunting. Oh yeah, yeah. We oh, I, yeah. I had the same thing happen in uh, in Wisconsin this year. So I was actually set up on a marsh. 
a guy that I'd met was set up on the other side of the marsh. Uh, we had three guys come in with rifles in Wisconsin on a not-so-large piece of public, walk in, shoot a buck, you know, rifles going off, and it's like, I mean, Wisconsin has a very well-defined rifle season. Like, what are you, mm-hmm. what are you even doing? Uh, game warden, sheriffs got involved. It was a whole rodeo. They got busted. But just how brazen some people can be to, like, yeah. like I don't understand. So the problem, I was, like, two miles in on a piece. Like, super stringy, hard access. Okay. And they were coming in from private. Gotcha. So okay. I think it was, like, well, nobody's going to care. They think, you know? yeah. All right. So it was kind of one of those deals, right? Um, and I think it's a good spot before gun season. So, um, so that happened the first weekend of gun season. And again, I'm still, you know, I'm hours away from home sleeping in my truck and just, I came back, uh, hit work for a couple of days and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rifle hunt. Um, I had shot, I didn't shot a buck with a rifle in nine years. Wow. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go rifle hunting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join the orange army. And the reason I decided to do that was because through all my scouting, I had found a couple areas that in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, if you do end up rifle hunting, this is an area you need to get into, right? Because um, multiple factors contributed to me thinking it would be kind of a safe haven for bucks, right? Um, Like I said, multiple factors played into that. But I was like, this is where I think – bucks are going to want to be when the pressure really, really hits. And I'm telling you, I've not been to Wisconsin. I've got friends in Wisconsin. So I can't say with my own eyes what Wisconsin rifle season looks like, but Missouri rifle season was unlike anything I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean, it was, I mean, it was insane. So I knew the pressure was insane. So I knew the concept of pushing bucks to like a refuge area would probably have the chance of working out well. So I got off work, um, decided to not leave that night, came home, stayed at home. And then that evening, and I, I woke up at like 1230 and, and drove hours to get to where I wanted to go and then hiked way back in and got all settled in right where I wanted to be at first light and literally within one minute I saw a buck and he was coming right back to bed where it was like a little six point and it I was glassing him walking from right to left. And as I'm panning following him, I see a rack turn behind him in the woods and it was, Uh. it was a stud. So basically again, to keep a long story short in the first 25 minutes of daylight, I saw five bucks four of which were good bucks. Two of the five were like, no doubt, like first glance shooter type bucks. Um, and it was a rodeo trying to get on them. And it's kind of a difficult uh, situation to make shots. And, but they're all doing the same thing. They're all funneling right back into that area, right at first light, just trying to survive mm. all together. Like not, together in a bachelor group, but like all within 200 yards of each other. None of them were fighting or posturing or chasing or cruising. They were just like, boys, we got to go back in here before we get shot. (laughs) We got to do this to live. All right. Right. Yeah. Uh, So 
and I was just, I was just able to kind of put the pieces together that that's what was going to happen. And, um, yeah, like 25 minutes after first light, I ended up getting a shot at, at a buck and, uh, dropped him with the rifle and got over there and it, it happened so fast, like, because I was trying to shoot the first buck that I'd seen and he had kind of given me the slip and then this other buck popped up and I was like, yeah, no doubt. So I just switched gears and shot and had to kind of make it happen quick. And I was, I didn't really know what he was. I knew he was big, but I didn't know what he was, you know, it was like, so I've never had that happen. Well, not at least not in a very long time, not on like a really good deer. And I get over there and he's dead in the tall grass and mm-hmm. just a really good, um, mainframe 10 point, just super cool character at the base is like little stickers going everywhere. And he's got two like matching devil tines coming out of the front. So, you know, it's just, just like a super cool buck. Um, I was just super grateful for that, for him and, and, and just how the plan came together, you know, like, like I'm telling you, Missouri public land during rifle season is, is like World War Seven out here. You yeah. Know, it's, it's I've and heard I, that. you know, I don't know, maybe I'm over-dramatizing it, but I was kind of surprised at the amount of pressure, at least in the areas that I was. It might not be like that everywhere, but the areas that I was hunting, it was severe pressure. Yeah. So to I've, be able to figure that out and take a really good buck with that much pressure going on around me, um, you know, I literally, so I was on my way back out to the truck and I had a dude shoot. I heard the bullet go over my head. He was shooting at a coyote across the valley. Oh my and I was gosh. like, dude, I'm, I'm glad I'm getting out of here. Like I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I ended up talking to him. He was like, oh, I didn't even see it. Like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Well, you should look a little harder. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, yeah. I've so, heard, I've heard that about Missouri though. I've got a buddy that used to go to Missouri every year for the gun season and they hunted a piece of private cause it was family land. But like, just to hear his stories, like you, you're putting how many guys on 200 acres? Like, you know, yeah. ten guys or something ridiculous like that. And it's like, oh my word, I'm not even like that. Just doesn't sound doesn't sound very appealing. But uh, right. Ethan, man, no doubt you had a fantastic season. Uh, one that, like I said, I felt like a cheerleader. You know, you- just watching it from afar. Um, well, there's another buck to <laughs> oh well by all means by all means yeah. don't let me stop you well, so so i'll make this one real quick so thanksgiving weekend i was like i'm out of tags in west in uh, missouri i'm like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to west virginia and and see see some friends and see some family and uh there was a buck I'd passed two years ago with a bow. Oh, that's really, really. That's right, because he was the wide one, right? Yeah, that's okay. super wide. Yeah, buck. okay, yeah. all right, yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, so I was like, there was two bucks. Um, there was a ten and that really wide eight on that property that I had passed both of them in the, in the past. And I kind of had some history with them, and um, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back and while I'm seeing friends and family, I'm gonna. And it was rifle season in West Virginia at that point. So while I'm, you know, visiting, I'm going to sneak out and do some hunts. And, um, I hunted for, uh, four hours and ended up killing him. And he, he read the script like perfect. I was watching this opening between two big doe bedding areas and the, the one doe bedding areas where I passed him years prior and my buddy hunts that property and he had pictures of him kind of not right there, but in another vicinity 
that kind of keyed me in on, okay, I think he's probably doing this. And, you know, I just got set up and uh, passed a handful of smaller bucks and he stepped out, he stepped out. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I was prepared to hunt out here like every day every, that I was back there visiting and it was like right away, you know, he steps out and, um, was able to put a good shot on him and put him down. So, you know, towards the end there, it kind of got a little more efficient, but the middle of the season was just crazy grueling, but yeah. So I ended up shooting four, four white tails and that mule deer. Yeah. You, and year, a so. tank of a mule deer too. Yeah. Which yeah, that, that was a wild hunt in and of itself, you know, hearing the story. Oh, yeah. of that one. Like yeah, that, was, that, that was, yeah, I'll never forget that hunt. That's for sure. So yeah, it was like, it was just, it was just an incredible season all around and so many lessons learned for myself and just so grateful just like for the opportunity to do it. And, um, I don't know, man, it's just a different from every other season I've ever had in so many ways. And like looking back on it now that the dust has settled, it's just, uh, it's just kind of like a somber feeling almost yeah. like, like, like we were talking about like the amount of work, like, and I know that 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 term gets thrown around so much. You know what I mean? Like, right. all the amount of work, and and but like, I gotta look back. I'm like, I literally spent half of seven weeks sleeping in my truck. You know, whether it was like, <laughs> and I remember one night I had a leak in the thing, and it was raining, and it was dripping on me, and I was sleeping. I slept in a cold sleeping bag, and I had a patch on the road, and it was just like, why am I out here doing this? You know. Like, <laughs> But yeah, man, it's just, uh, it was a really, really cool season, yeah. really fun season and just grateful for all of it. So where do you go from here, man? Like what, I mean, what, what is, what does year two in Missouri even look like? I mean, how do you top that? I don't know. Where do you go I don't know where here? I go from here, honestly. Um, you know, once I got all my deer tags filled, I don't, do you waterfowl hunt at all? So I waterfowl hunted for the first time this year. Well, seriously, for the first time this year, I, in the past have tried, you know, jump shooting ducks and that kind of thing. And, but this is the first year that I've ever like done the get up early, put out some decoys, all of that thing. And, uh, it was pretty fun. Yeah. So I'm actually like a, like a low key big waterfowl fan. Okay. Um, I always save it until my deer tags are filled. Right. So like December is usually my, my duck hunting time. And it was really not great in West Virginia. Um, I've traveled, done some duck hunting. So, you know, once that's was kind of what was next, like right now I'm kind of, I'm, I'm duck hunting now. So, um, I'm kind of taking a step back right now from the deer and just kind of enjoying being in the Mississippi flyway. And like I've shot, I've shot three new species in the last week that I've never shot before. And, um, you know, like a couple that I was like really, really seeking, you know, all in public. And that's a whole other thing is waterfall in public. But yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm at right now. And then, you know, I'll be doing a lot of scouting and, and, um, shed hunting here in the spring. And then I've got a, a another big Western trip coming up in May. Uh, I'm going to do like a, a really big solo, probably like two week solo bear hunt in the mountains. Oh, nice. Dude. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but after that, I don't really know what's next, honestly, you know. Um, you going to be getting after some turkeys this spring, too, or is Bear going to take yeah. that year? Well, yeah, Bear's going to take the precedence in May, um, and then i got a lot of work stuff going on, like, through April. So I'm going to try to get out 
and, and shoot some turkeys for sure. You know, every year I do it. Turkey hunting is not something that I'm like crazy passionate about. It's more of a, right. I like guess it's just fun to do for me, but I know some people that are just like, that's what they live for. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll definitely get out and do some turkey hunting, but yeah, I don't know what's next, man. I mean, like as far as next year or what, but I just, it, I don't know, man, it's hard to, as you can tell, I'm kind of stumbling around my words. It's hard to explain looking back and I haven't done, I haven't sat down and talked with anybody as like a full <laughs> season recap. Right. You know, so this right. is just like, this has almost like flooded me with a lot of, you know, feelings that right. I haven't really felt about the season. Um, and like most of them are, are just kind of feelings like accomplishment and achievement and like self pride and, you know, it's like self fulfillment, but like, there's also those, like somber feelings. Like it's kind of, I'm sad it's over, right. you know? And it's like, right. maybe I put too much time into that, you know, yes. like, you know, so there's a lot of different feelings uh, running through me talking about all of it. But the one thing I just want to keep harping on is just like, I'm so grateful for the, just the opportunity to have a season like that. Cause right. that's what I live for, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess now you got to move across the country somewhere else and, the you know land there sometime in july and try to do it all again i mean yeah you never know <laughs> <laughs> you never do know man so well ethan man i i can't thank you enough for for taking the time for this like i said it was incredible to watch your season from a distance to hear some updates with uh you know the podcast that you've done with jake and uh just to watch it all go down man and and to I don't know. To, like, I just, I latched onto that. We moved uh, July of 22 down to Georgia from Wisconsin. And so, dude, I had so much in the works for hunting Wisconsin that fall. I just wrote the whole thing off. But when I heard your story, uh, you know, the following summer, I'm like, huh, all right. Some guys in the same shoes that I was in, you know, let's see what happens. But then to see the amount of success that you had, man, was just absolutely incredible so thank you for coming on the show to share more about that i've got notes here uh that i have taken of like other topics that i want to talk to you about so like definitely going to be bugging you again to get you back on and um take a, a, a little deeper dive into some of these different you know tactics and strategies that that you put into into play here and even just all the way down to what does it mean to be killable like i, I think i think a lot of guys would be well served maybe by a deep dive into that like just a mm -hmm. lot of time and run through like you know scenarios and case studies of like which of these two is more killable kind of thing but man where can guys go if they want to see these deer see pictures of them keep up with with whatever you've got going on that kind of stuff yeah everything's posted the only the only thing i really have or do is instagram um all the pictures from the season are posted on there and uh um my Instagram is just my name, Ethan Eskew, with an underscore between first and last names. So it's all on there. I'm not on there like a ton, but, you know, that's where everything is to look at. I look at it all the time. You know, just <laughs> scroll back through right. past seasons and, yeah, just a lot of memories posted on there. Um, but yeah. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on. I, mean, I appreciate it. It was a great talk. And, um, yeah, the – when I, yeah, deeming something killable is a very, very intricate, uh, non-algorithm algorithm that goes on in my head. You know? Right, so, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd definitely be down to get back on and talk about anything you want to talk about. I love talking about deer. 
And I've, I've found that talking, like talking about things that I do brings up a new point of view on my own hunting. Right. Meaning like I can almost learn from myself by talking about it at times in like a very weird way. So I always enjoy doing it. I think it always brings up new perspectives, even for myself. Yeah. Um, So I'd love to come back on. uh, But, you know, for tonight, again, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Man, anytime. This was, this was fantastic. I've been looking forward to this since, uh, since you were like, yeah, dude, I'll come on. So uh, anyway, I'll tag you in all this good stuff whenever we're done. But guys, go check out Ethan's uh, Instagram page. See all the deer that he's killed. Also, go back and listen. You did two episodes or three with Jake? I've done multiple. Like Jake and I are very, very close friends right. outside of the hunting world. Um, so, you know, we shared quite a few episodes on there, actually, I think. I, I honestly don't remember how many we did. Okay. All right. So go check out Latitudes in Session podcast. Uh, Ethan and Jake have done several. And, uh, yeah, go check it out, guys. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at howtohuntdeer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.